Father, we thank you for the faithfulness of the Spirit of God who indwells the heart of every believer. We thank you that he knows the beginning from the end. He knows us from the root of our being to the very outer fringes of who we are. And Lord, you love us in spite of our failings, in spite of our weaknesses, in spite of how far we have yet to progress to become more what you want us to be. And you're patient to work with us. And Lord, it is your word which is the tool that you use to change our hearts and our minds and to bring us into active acquiescence and submission to the will and purpose and plan of God. And Lord, as we again look at a passage of Scripture, I pray that it will teach us, that you will teach us through it, that it will not be seen in human terms, but in the terms that you express through the Spirit of God who empowers the Word and makes it real and sharp and powerful. Lord, we ask you to guide our every thought, to take away stray thoughts, and to focus our minds now. And again, for the... Uh, the missionary service as it progresses and for the various classes throughout our Sunday school, we trust for your presence in Christ's name. Amen. I would like to again read the first few verses of the 20th chapter of Exodus. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And all the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Far cry from way majority of people hear the word of God today. The fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Of all the Ten Commandments, as we read them this morning, you notice that only the second and the fourth required significant explanation. Eight of the commandments which we read are no more than a verse long. 
some of them extremely short, four words, you shall not murder. But the second and fourth commandments require several verses. We looked at the second commandment already two weeks ago, and we noticed that because of man's basic need to worship something or to worship someone, God made it quite clear in that second commandment who exactly was to be worshipped and what was not to be worshipped. So that when that statement was over, there was no way that any individual could unintentionally confuse what it was or who it was he would worship. Now as we look at the fourth commandment, we discover again a commandment with multiple verses given to it. Here God is dealing with mankind's basic greed and self-dependence. In, in addition, God is giving to us, as we look through this particular uh, passage, and, and of course gave to Israel in the past, and through Israel to us, um, a key, a very important key to physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being. And I think this will become evident as we take the next few minutes to study um, this particular commandment and to look at what I believe are five primary purposes for which God established this, the, the Sabbath. Now, I'm not going to tell you that these are the only possible purposes, but as I have studied this, these at least stood out as five purposes for God establishing the Sabbath. The first purpose is the most obvious, I think, and the one most clearly expressed here in this particular passage. And it's given in connection and in reference back to uh, Genesis chapter 2. And let me just turn back to that. Some of you may remember about four years ago or so, we studied that uh, passage, four, five, whatever it was. In Genesis chapter 2, we read, well, let me begin with verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts. And by the seventh day, God completed his work which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Very simple, straightforward statement of what God did. The word Sabbath is a noun, and it comes from a Hebrew word, which is the word Shabbat, which is a verb. It means to cease or to desist. In six days, we're told God created the heavens and the earth. Now, we aren't going to go back into all of that again. And what did this mean? Did he do it in seven 24-hour days or whatever he did? That seems to be the clear implication here, but not a point of uh, discussion this morning. On the seventh day, whatever time period that was, seven the seventh period of 24 hours or whatever of creation, God ceased creating. Now, I think it's important to note when it says that God ceased creating, it does not mean that he stopped because, whew, boy, this is a lot of work creating, you know, throwing this earth out here and spinning the worlds into space and trying to form this and trying to grow that. I mean, God is a spirit, an almighty spirit. He can't get tired, you know. There's no such thing as tired with God. And so what we're talking about is not that God rested because he was tired, but we have a statement here that it was a time when God ceased. It was a day of ceasing creating. 
He just simply desisted from further creation because it was finished and he needed to do no more. God sanctified the seventh day because it was the day to honor his ceasing and it was a day to reflect on what had been accomplished. Reflection. Reflection is a word that we've almost lost, or I should say we have lost the real meaning of reflection a lot in our society. To sit down and reflect on what has been accomplished. We always keep thinking about what we have yet to do rather than what has been done. God sat down, well, he didn't sit down. God ceased creating and God reflected on what God had done. And in so doing, he was giving to us a, a universal pattern. In six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a day of ceasing, a day of desisting unto the Lord. It, it's, it was to be for the Israelites a day to be set aside to focus on the goodness of God and all that he enabled them to do. To recognize that it is he who is the creator. And we are to rejoice in his creation and whatever he has created through us and in us. And to acknowledge his sovereignty and our dependence upon him. You know, sometimes we don't really recognize our dependence upon him until he's got us in a corner against the wall. And we finally recognize I've got nowhere to go but God. It's really sad. It has to get to that point before we really recognize our total dependence upon him. Every seventh day, the Israelites were to stop and they were to center their thoughts on the person and the work of the Creator, of their sovereign God, of Yahweh, who had become their Lord and King. Why? Now, if we do that, if, if they were to do that, which they were ordered to do, this would enable them to maintain proper perspective. That's another thing. We really tend to get all skewed out of, out of order in our day. Perspective. We get everything out of perspective of what really is important and what isn't important. As you have heard so many times and so many articles have been written on the tyranny of the urgent. You know, we're just driven all day long about, by what we gotta do. And, and often we lose perspective on the big picture, on what really is important and what really isn't that important. They were to try to get a perspective and they were also to recognize who was responsible for their success. And out of it would be born a spirit of thanksgiving. A spirit of thanksgiving. You know, the scripture tells us in the New Testament, in everything give thanks. You know, when we stop to complain about something, does that verse ever hit us? In everything give thanks. When you hear the students, as I do every once in a while at the college, make a comment or two about maybe the food in the cafeteria, which is a common complaint all over the country, in colleges, universities, everywhere. But in everything, give thanks. How does that fit together, you know, with all of this? A spirit of thanksgiving. 
A spirit of thanksgiving in and of itself is spiritually and emotionally a very healing thing. Because if we develop a spirit of, of thanksgiving, it tends to remove anxiety. And how much is anxiety at the root of physical illnesses and mental, emotional neuroses? Probably more than we really know. So for their healing, God gave them the Sabbath. Secondly, the Sabbath was also connected with deliverance. With deliverance. I'd like to uh, turn to the fifth chapter of Deuteronomy. <coughs> Here, of course, we have a restatement of the Ten Commandments. And in verse 12, we read this. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you so that your male servant and your female servant may have rest as well as you. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out of there by, the mighty, by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to, to observe the, the Sabbath day. So in verse 15 we have an additional statement here. He says, I am commanding you to observe this day in addition to what I told you before, now also that you might remember that I am your deliverer, that I brought you out of the land of Egypt. How often should they remember that God was their deliverer? How often should they remember? At least once every seven days. They should be reminded that God is their deliverer. How often do we need to be reminded that God is our deliverer? It's so easy to forget when we meet the turmoils of life that God is our deliverer. What's interesting is this concept was very, very important in the initial transfer of the um, Sabbath for the church from what we would call Saturday to what we call Sunday. And of course, as you know, this has created a great deal of uh, dissension in, among certain groups. But uh, the transferring of the Sabbath from the seventh of day of the week to the first day of the week, the, it, when the Christians did this, they were actually employing this principle. They were saying it was the day in which we will remember our Deliverer. And so we will remember our Deliverer on the day in which He arose from the grave and our deliverance was complete, and therefore that is our Sabbath unto the Lord. And that is the way it has been ever since the first century. And we'll see as we look down through some other uh, passages here, I think, that um, that is right and that is good. And that is not a violation of the Old Testament principle whatsoever. Even though there is a very large denomination, as you know, and smaller denominations that feel that to have left Saturday for Sunday is to, in fact, uh, incur divine disfavor which is totally unsupported by Scripture. Thirdly, the Sabbath was to be a social ordinance in addition to these first two factors. 
in that it was to provide everyone with a day of rest. Physical rest, mental, emotional rest. Exodus chapter 23, beginning at verse 10. You shall sow your land for six years and gather in its yield. But on the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, so that the needy of your people may eat, and whatever they leave the beast of the field may eat. You are to do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. Six days you are to do your work, but on the seventh day you shall cease from labor in order that your ox and your donkey may rest. The son of your female slave as well as your stranger may refresh themselves. Now concerning everything, well, stopping right there. Now, there are two things in this passage, of course, first of all. The first part it doesn't, it sort of indirectly relates to what we're talking about. And that is, there was a social welfare system built into the Sabbath concept. And as you see there in verses 10 and 11, they were not just to have a Sabbath once a week, they were to have a Sabbath every seven years for the land. Which meant you didn't go out and plow and, and plant your land with grain, you didn't go out and prune your olive or, uh, orchard or your vineyard, you let it all go fallow for a year. And in so doing, you allow the people who did not have their own land and who did not have a regular job, what we would call the street people or whatever, you gave them an opportunity to go out and glean for themselves. This was welfare with honor, you see, because they had to pick it, they had to thresh it, they had to cook it, they had to prepare it, they had to do it, but it was there for them to have, but there was the honor of, of being able to prepare it for themselves. It wasn't handed to them on a platter. Now, we might say, but how, how does this work? Well, you have to recognize that as the program developed here, Everybody is not going to have the seventh year Sabbath at the same time. So that one person's field is going through the, the fallow year while another person is still working their field and it will come fallow a different year. And the same way with this orchard and that vineyard. And so uh, people would always have somewhere to go within the country, within the district of the country where they could find uh, this uh, provision made for them. And of course there are other provisions later on that we read about in the law where certain corners of the field were not ever to be harvested. They were always to be there for the indigent members of society. So this provision was made which, which illustrates to us God's concern for every single person in society. And the Sabbath principle applied even to that uh, situation. But then specifically the latter two verses of, well, this, the 12th verse of uh, this passage, laborers, including slaves, I mean, people who had no political rights, people who had no social rights or economic rights, slaves, strangers, and even animals, were to be given a weekly respite. You could not work your slave into the ground. You could not work your animal into the ground. You must give them a day off every week. This was not only to allow for physical and emotional rejuvenation, but it would show to everyone that you as God's person cared for people and that God cared for people even if that person is a slave. They were not to have the attitude that was common throughout the world in those days of a slave being a zero in society. They were to treat them as God's creation. 
they were to be given a Sabbath rest. And one of the things that would show was that the master did not have absolute authority over even his slave. Because over the master was the sovereign God. And that master owed his allegiance to that sovereign God. And in so doing, responsibility to someone who was even a slave in his employ. What this did, of course, was to put a limit on greed. It limited one's greed. You just couldn't just work and work and drive everybody to make every last red cent. You had to obey the law of common sense and of what was right for everyone. And even the animals, even the animals, couldn't be made to plow seven days a week. They had to be given a day off, even an animal, a day off. Well, I mean, that tells us something about the character and nature of God, a God of love, uh, a God who loves this environment which he has created, and wants us in turn to treat it right. Whether that means hugging trees or not, I don't know, but it, it certainly means being wise and proper stewardship towards what God has given to us. Fourthly, the Sabbath was given as a sign of the covenant, a sign of the covenant between Yahweh and his people. Now you remember, going clear back to the time of Abraham, that God had given the sign of the circumcision. But, but the circumcision was a private seal, as you might well imagine. The keeping of the Sabbath became a public seal of the covenant for all the world to behold. If we could turn to Exodus 31, beginning at verse 12. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, but as for you, speak to the sons of Israel, saying, You shall surely observe my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Therefore you are to observe the Sabbath, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. For whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. For six days work may be done, but on the seventh day there is a Sabbath of complete rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath shall surely be put to death. So the sons of Israel shall observe the Sabbath to celebrate the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he ceased from labor and was refreshed. A public seal for all the world to see. How did Israel differ from other nations in the world? Well, certainly it could be seen that they, they differed in that they gave a total day of rest to everyone, including animal and slave, unheard of in pagan society. So you might say, well, how would that be a witness? Because the neighboring people would say, why are you doing this? And how come you're successful in spite of the fact you're not going to day a workout every week? Or, you know, whatever the time frame uh, is that they saw it within. You know, it becomes a powerful witness of the reality of God and of their commitment to Him. Because God becomes more important to them than the possibility of further advancement by supposed another day of work, you know, working without ceasing. 
here towards their earthly goals, whatever they might be. And they would thus be known as the Sabbath-keeping people. And as the Sabbath-keeping people, others would be attracted to them because there is a basic uh, reality of the power of God displayed in that the Israelis, when they were walking right with God, they prospered as no other people prospered in spite of the fact that they worked a day less than everybody else did each week. Then lastly, I think that the Sabbath was to be symbolic of eternal rest, of eternal rest. To keep the Sabbath did not necessarily mean that someone was going to inherit the eternal rest. Because you and I know, and it is just as true in the Old Testament as it is in the New, that we obtain our salvation by faith and not by works. No Israelite of the ancient world, by keeping the Sabbath religiously, got to heaven. That was to be an expression of his true faith, that he obeyed God's command. To obey the command without a transformed heart did no good for that individual. And it was, however, a very clear symbol of the real faith that they did have when they enthusiastically endorsed obedience to the Sabbath as a symbol of that great eternal rest that would come someday. If a person was truly committed to God by faith, he would, by his own desire, obey God's commands. Remember the words, it comes out so clearly in the King James Version when you read about Paul as he was Saul and he was going to Damascus and you know the whole story and how Jesus showed up and he got knocked off his donkey on the ground and the Lord said, is it not hard for you, Paul, to kick against the pricks, the goat herds, you know, the sharp pointed sticks that the animals that the animal drivers used to prod the animals along. Isn't it hard, Paul, to constantly be kicking against those and to find that you're not going with the flow of God. You're constantly against it all the time. And that's what it is for someone who tries to obey the law without the heart to obey the law. You, know? you just do it as ritual, as form. It just, it's just constant friction. It's yucky. It's hard. You don't want to do it. And, and you know, you're trying to earn your salvation if, if that's the way one goes. But when one's heart has been transformed, the keeping the Ten Commandments was not hard for those who, who truly believed and wanted to serve the true and the living God. For them, God's heart was a heart of love, therefore you wouldn't murder. You know, a heart of concern, therefore you don't take your neighbor's wife. It's not in your nature to steal if, if your life has been transformed. So keeping the Ten Commandments in that sense was, was not difficult, and neither was keeping the Sabbath law difficult for those whose hearts had actually been changed and were living in accordance with the, with the spirit behind the Ten Commandments. God didn't give the Ten Commandments as a bunch of tough rules to shape up a bunch of uh, hard-minded or stiff-necked people and try to make them march like soldiers against their will. It was to help them to see what it is to serve a holy God and with a transformed heart, it does not become hard. It becomes part of our nature as we walk with him to do so. Now, as a symbol of eternal rest, there's a passage I think we're all familiar with in Hebrews that uh, kind of makes that clear to us. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, let us 
fear lest, while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you should seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have, we have had the good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. To try to do the commandments without being united with faith profited nothing. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has thus said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day, today, saying, Through David, after so long a time, just as has been said before, today if you harden, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. There remains therefore a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall through following the same example of disobedience. And if you go to the last verse of the previous chapter, and unbelief. Disobedience and unbelief. That's what kept the Israelites from entering the land when they stood there originally and the ten spies, twelve spies came back and they did not go in because of disobedience and unbelief. And God therefore said, the Sabbath rest will not be yours, neither here nor there. And Paul is saying here that through obedience and belief we can enter into that Sabbath rest which is symbolized by the Sabbath which God gave to Israel to keep them motivated towards that great Sabbath of eternity. Now in God's eyes, the Sabbath was very, very significant. And to profane the Sabbath was not a minor detail. Remember we read in 31st chapter of Exodus, what did God say to the who, to the, about the one who profaned the Sabbath? He was to be executed. Uh, well, that sounds pretty serious to me. Not tapped on the back of the head or slapped on the hand or given a misdemeanor. Executed. God was very serious about this commandment. And I think God was serious about this commandment for the reasons that I've given. Because to profane the Sabbath is to deny the, the covenant seal. It's to deny being a part of the very family that God had made them a part of. To deny their deliverer. God himself would massively enforce this, this law if, the, if um, his own people wouldn't. Ezekiel chapter 20, beginning at verse 12. Ezekiel 20, 12. And also I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them, that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes, and they rejected my ordinances, by which, if a man observes them, he will live. And my Sabbaths they greatly profaned. Then I resolved to pour out my wrath on them in the wilderness to annihilate them. But I acted for the sake of my name, that it should uh, not be profaned in the sight of the nations, before whose sight I had brought them out. 
And also I swore to them in the wilderness that I would not bring them into the land which I had given them, flowing with milk and honey, which is the glory of all lands. Because they rejected my ordinances, as for my statutes, and as for my statutes, they did not walk in them. They even profaned my Sabbaths, for their heart continually went after idols. Yet my eye spared them rather than destroying them, and I did not cause their annihilation in the wilderness. In other words, a remnant came through. A remnant came through. But because they chose to profane the Sabbaths and to disobey the, the uh, commands of God, he destroyed them in the wilderness. Wiped them out. And you remember the story. Everyone who had achieved 20 years in age and older died in the wilderness and did not enter the promised land. Only the younger generation. Now, just as the Hebrews did not become true children of God by keeping the Sabbath, so we do not become Christian simply because we go to church. Faithful church attendance does not make us Christians. Unfortunately, that is not believed by, off, by very many mainline churches today. Many feel that if they pay their dues by going on Sunday, God owes them one, like eternity. But that's not at all what Scripture teaches. The Israelites would faithfully keep the Sabbath if they trusted God. So we obey the clear teaching concerning the clear New Testament teaching uh, concerning the Lord's Day and gathering on in His house to worship Him and minister to one another if we truly love Him. There are several <coughs> New Testament passages that make it clear by pronouncement and example that we are to be a part of a local assembly of believers and to worship with them. I chose probably the most popular passage to uh, put here at this point, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This, this may not be spelled out in the words of thou shalt, ta-da, ta-da, from the top of Mount Sinai, but does that make its thrust any less significant? This is the word of God saying, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the habit of some. And why should we do it? Well, two reasons are given right here. So that we could stimulate one another to love and good deeds, and that we could encourage one another. The New Testament does not reaffirm the Sabbath law in explicit terms like it does the other nine statements of the Decalogue. But the principle of the Sabbath is reaffirmed over and over again in the New Testament. The clear, it, it clearly teaches us that we are to weekly meet together for the purposes of prayer, worship, and the study of God's Word. I think the five purposes that I gave to us earlier as to why God called the Israelites to meet on a Sabbath or to hold a Sabbath, 
apply still, in a sense, and let me just go through them quickly here. First, we need to set aside, we need to set aside a day each week to reassess our goals and to focus on God's blessing and to rejoice together, to rejoice together at what God is doing, to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And part of the reason that we're supposed to meet together is to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. I mean, some people will come on Sunday with a heavy heart, and they need someone to come alongside and to stimulate, to encourage, so they don't feel like they're alone on this dark path. I mean, even though that you, you could say, well, they should know they're not alone. I mean, God's with them. I mean, sometimes, I mean, you know that intellectually, but you need to know that because there's someone with an arm there who says, I'm with you and I'm, I'm praying for you, and I care, because this is what God would do through us. And what's interesting is this pattern was established before the law was. Before God said to Moses up there on the top of the mountain to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, God had set the pattern clear back in creation. And you remember he had already told the Israelites that when they went out to gather the manna, they weren't supposed to gather it on the seventh day. He already was establishing the principle before he'd actually made it a law on the top of Mount Sinai. It is a universal principle. And I've read the studies, maybe some of you have too, of doctors and psychiatrists who have done studies and have shown that it's very, it, it could probably ultimately be proven that the human body functions on a seven-day cycle and that if we deny a day of rest, we're causing our own Detri detriment to ourselves. Secondly, we too have been delivered from our Egypt. That is, from the bondage of our fallen sinful nature. And therefore, we need weekly to honor our deliverer, corporately, to come together and sing praises and hear the word from our deliverer, that we might be reminded that we have been delivered. Because we live in a world where we could say, Oh, this is a yucky place, and it's going downhill fast, and I'm sure going to be glad to get to heaven. Well, I'm me too. But we need to have some kind of hope and joy in between. Now, we're not just supposed to save all our joy to the day we pass over chilly Jordan. There's supposed to be some joy here and some peace and the kinds of things that reflect the nature of God. After all, why should anybody be attracted to a church where all they do is moan and groan all the time? Thirdly, we need rejuvenation. We need rejuvenation in our minds, in our bodies, spirits, and emotions. You know, I think because of our fast-paced Western society, we've just shoved that out of the way. And we think we could just go plunging right on through seven days a week, you know, four weeks a month, 12 months out of the year, and we can just do it. Well, we are actually, we've reached a point of diminishing returns when we do that. And the extra time we put in is not going to be profitable over what it would be if we'd set aside some time to honor the Lord on a per periodic basis. <laughs> Most recommended would be Sundays, of course. To, to meet with God's people and to be refreshed in spirit and have new vigor to start over again in the new week and go at it. I would just, if I were a wagering person, which I am not, I don't like losing things, <laughs> but... <clears throat> If I were, 
I, I would say that the that if if people could actually, if you could analyze all this, you discover that those who work seven days a week all through the year do not do as well as those who give a day off, commit it all to the Lord, and let it all the rest of it go. Because I think God honors that, and I think we are refreshed and strengthened and able to do better as a result. I'm running out of time here, but let me. There's a passage in Mark I think that we need to just take a glance at. Mark chapter 2, because sometimes we get the wrong idea about this whole Sabbath thing. Uh, Mark 2, 23. And it came about that he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples began to make uh, their way along by picking the heads of grain. And from Luke we see that they were rubbing it, you know, threshing it and making it edible. And the Pharisees were saying to him, See here, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and became hungry? He and his companions, how they entered the house of God at the time of Abiathar the high priest, and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests. And he gave it to those who were with him. And he was saying to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Consequently, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now that's one of the places where the Seventh-day Adventists have gone hard on a rock because the scripture says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And their principle is, of course, that if you don't obey the Sabbath, you're lost. If you don't walk, if you don't obey the Sabbath law, you aren't going to go to heaven. Well, that's putting a work in there where it says we are justified by faith and not by any works at all whatsoever of any kind. And... God didn't make the Sabbath as a big rock for us to crash onto, but something that's good for us. Fourthly, the faithful commitment of Sunday to worshiping in God's house and fellowshipping with God's people is more and more today becoming a sign of true faith because we're living in a world in which Sunday is becoming like any other day of the week where jobs go on, and play goes on, and sports goes on, and shopping goes on in, at such a fervent and heated pace that the majority of people would never know you were any different from anybody else unless you took the Sabbath off to demonstrate that God is honored in your life and you're going to be different. It becomes a sign of the covenant, if you will, not a work but a sign, a statement to the world that we're different because we believe and trust in God. We don't have to have this frenetic pace in order to survive. And if anything's going to attract people to God, it's going to be the peace, the joy, the love, the serenity that is demonstrated by God's people in this hectic, pell-mell, hot-to-hell world in which we live. And then lastly, when faithfully observed, the Lord's Day is still a symbol of that great eternal rest. As you read in, in Revelation 21 and Revelation 22 of what is going to happen, this is a symbol. We won't sit cheek to jowl probably in a, in a room like this listening to somebody talking to us in heaven all day long. Uh, but nevertheless, the fellowship, the joy, the, the sense of camaraderie, of oneness of purpose, of worship of God, this is at least a taste and, and how we spend the Lord's day focusing on Him as a taste of that great eternal rest. In this dog-eat-dog -dog world, we need a weekly time of remembrance to keep our hope burning brightly and our confidence strong in Him.